Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Log with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years of journalism between the two of us. Over 35 covered sports in the H. And if you're wondering why I sound different, look a little bit different, the nerves in my jaw are still frozen by surgery three weeks ago. Uh, Sean, you know, I have a bunch of Texans, Astros, and Rockets to catch up on, but I can tell you my recovery, it feels about as slow as McCullers and Brantley right now, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, I hear that, but hey, uh, you're looking good. You're sounding good. You got them pipes back, so uh, I'm glad to uh, get rolling again, man, because hey, we've missed a lot. Hey, and I just want to, you know, for the people listen, watching on YouTube, if you're listening, you might want to check this out. This is what my jaw surgery looked like before the x-rays did uh before the surgery and then here's what it looks like afterwards and you could see how much they pulled my jaw forward that's this is before again watch the jaw this is afterwards it was about a half inch Sean. so it was yeah. a lot for even this type of surgery yeah, no, you went. That's some serious stuff, man. And uh, the doctors look like they did an incredible, incredible job, man. I just hope you get to see the results and feel the results that you need. Just glad to have you back, man. Sounding good, looking good. And uh, like I said, we got a lot to catch up on. Well, uh, I was out of commission, Sean. You had a chance to see the Texans at OTAs. Hit me with a couple of your best takes in the last couple of weeks. What have you seen out there? Here's what we know. Mills is the guy right now. Stroud is the two, and Keenum is the three. That was the case again after uh, this would have been today the third media availability to watch the uh, entire practice. We get to sit out there and watch the entire practice, which is a very cool thing, something that we are uh, not used to when it's regular season. And um, so I, I've, I've been I've been excited about that because, you know, you get to just kind of walk around, and I don't get to see the offensive linemen because they make it a very difficult trek to go all the way around and watch the linemen. But in terms of like uh, the quarterbacks, you know, the order of operation is there. It's Mills, it's Stroud, it's Keenum. Outside of that, I've, I've really tried to pay attention to the structure of the practices, and they really don't look much different than what we saw last year. Now, that may not sound like uh, an interesting take, but everything that I'd heard from the year before that under the Cully regime it's good to have some consistency with two gentlemen. I know Lovey was one and done, but he'd been there, done that before as an NFL coach. He knows how to run a practice. And D'Amico, even in his first year, he's got some good NFL veteran coaches out there, despite a lot of the new at obviously offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, so on and so forth. This looks like a really well put together, organized practice. And there's no downtime. I mean, it's boom, 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 even for an OTA. One thing that I will say, say when I first went out there last week uh, I missed the first media availability but I went to the second one and just talking to a lot of the media members out there and I even asked a couple of coaches because we got a chance to talk to all of the coaches last week which was very cool it's them really trying to indoctrinate you know these young guys but even the veterans too into just how exactly it's going to look in the regular season. So from what they do pre-practice, during practice, after practice, film room, meetings, everything, they're trying to establish a schedule and get these guys into a routine from their mind, their body, everything. 
And it looks very similar to what, um, you know, took place last year. And I think that's a good thing for a lot of the guys that were here. I think it's a good thing for a lot of the veterans that weren't here. Uh, that were playing for different organizations, but under some coaches with good NFL experience. Now they're here. They understand what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to feel like. So I, I think all all in all, it's an excellent vibe. Everybody's talking up D'Amico. Everybody loves the guy, loves his enthusiasm, excitement. He's very involved, seen all over the building, whether it's the cafeteria, the weight room. I mean, they said he's in there working out and, you know, grinding with the guys before and after workouts when it's lift days. And so that was really kind of cool to hear. And it's something I would I'd kind of expect, you know, from a guy who's really not that far removed. Robert, from being a player himself, you know, just seven years removed from last suiting up. So uh, he still loves the grind, still looks the part. It was funny moments a day. Damian Pierce was at the podium his first time ever, by the way, at the podium. And I could get used to that instead of having to crunch up near his locker, which is in the corner by the quarterback. So he was like, man, he was asked first impressions in me. He's like, man. I thought he was a player when I first saw him. He still looks jacked and he's doing this and, you know, telling us that D'Amico's excitement and his physicality um, and just overall enthusiasm, he mistook him for a player at first. And he's like, oh, that's Coach Miko. <laughs> so it was really kind of cool. It's a good vibe. Everybody's excited. And ultimately, this OTA session, it seems like it's been very, very productive. And by that, I mean, they're trying to get these guys mentally ready for training camp are they grasping a new defense are they grasping this new offensive system that bobby slowick has put in and the answer so far even for what i've not just what i've heard but what i've seen is yes yes there's no downtime there's not a lot of coaching in these uh sessions obviously indy there is but when they're going team seven on a seven seven on seven eleven on eleven there's no stoppage there's no Hey, where was I supposed to go here with the ball? What was I supposed to do in this situation? These guys look like they're picking it up. And so I think that's the most exciting part about it. It's sounded like CJ Stroud is looking very accurate with the passing and, and the drills and things like that. Is Have you been able to see much of that? Yeah, I saw uh, a lot more today. I had a better vantage point today. They were working on a different field whenever they were uh, pushing the ball down in seven on seven. And uh, they did 11 on 11. I'm sorry. They did seven on seven situationally at the end of practice today. So they might start at the 40 yard line and it might be uh, fourth and 15. Man, he was dropping some dimes. You know, early on in practice with the uh, seven on seven stuff, I saw a lot of check downs, a lot of dump offs, throwing to the back, coming out of the backfield, tight ends. But in that situational stuff, he threw a really good ball to Tank Dell on a fourth and 15. Uh, at the 40-yard line that went for six. They set it, They ended up setting it up at the goal line because I guess they wanted to get a goal line look. Um, he threw another really good one, which went for six as well. It looked like it was a, a dig route, or it could have been a slant. There was a couple of coaches in front of me, so I couldn't see where the breaking point was for Amari Rogers, but he caught a nice ball from uh, C.J. Stroud. Like I said, went for six. Again, they set it up at the goal line for a look there. I noticed even through Indy, CJ has some juice on that ball, man. Uh, he put some sauce on it. Uh, he's got a good arm. Everybody knows that. There was a really good, nice, tight spiral. Um, maybe the play of the day, though, to be honest with you, was made by Case Keenum to rookie Xavier Hutchinson. Uh, 
that ball was probably on about the 50-yard line, Robert, coming towards the bubble. Xavier Hutchinson had two dudes on him. And Keenum, he not many guys throw a better deep ball than him. I mean, he put it only where Hutchinson could get it. And he rose up over two guys, grabbed it, and was down probably around the two, three-yard line, something like that. Keenum had an opportunity to go score afterwards through a freaking dime. I mean, it was a seed back left corner of the end zone, and I think it was to Amari Rogers, maybe a little low, and he just couldn't get hands on it all the way and reel it in. But uh, it was a pretty good series there for Keenum, who looked good. Mills had a bit of a rough day uh, from what I gathered, you know, through a couple of errant balls, something that we've seen quite a bit from him last year, you know, the routine error mails of uh, Nico Collins and unable to find uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon Cooks on some shorter routes. Saw the similar issues today. Maybe a couple of them were would have been negated by penalties. They did have a full referee staff out there. So all in all, it was uh, it was probably the, the first day where I got to see this much of the quarterbacks from a really good vantage point. Everybody is talking about Tank Dell. This is not a surprise to you and me, but uh, and everybody that follows the Cougars, but Tank Dell already impressing guys left and right, I guess, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just with how he carries himself, uh, really what I've noticed, uh, obviously the, the quickness in and out of the breaks of his routes. Uh, you saw that today. I think I saw one drop and I couldn't really see, but I thought it was him. People were on the sideline kind of like, oh, you know, thought he could have had another one, but it, it might not have been him. It could have been Amari Rogers or uh, Sims, another receiver that they have. Uh, but I did see Tank in uh, kick return today a little bit. And, man, just how he was moving. I mean, you're not tackling. They don't have pads on. But, you know, guys are kind of closing in on him. And just how he's able to elude players on the uh, kickoff return drills and punt return drills, it's it's pretty fun. It's a it's a pretty fun watch. And I think it's been him, Amari Rogers, Sims, who's been back there, uh, Desmond King. Um, they probably had a couple other guys back there. But I'm, you're right. All eyes are on uh, uh, Tank Dell. There's no doubt about that. A couple of things about the running back situation. They ranked, I can't remember who, who wrote this piece, but they ranked the best one-two running backs in the NFL. And the Texans were near the top with Pierce and Singletary. And, you know, that's something I felt like was a little bit under the radar when they added Singletary in free agency. The other thing is I understand Pierce is talking about one of the things he really wants to get better at and he's really been working on is uh, his pass blocking. What what have you heard about that? Well, he actually talked about that today um, at the podium, and he was asked about that pretty routinely last year, if you recall, Robert. You know, when he was not in games in those high-leverage situations early on through pretty much the first half of last season, I think it was until about week eight or nine before he was seeing meaningful snaps late in games. Hell, even early in games where there were some crucial plays, you know, if it was a, a third and short or a fourth and one, why isn't he on the field? It took a while for him to get there. You know, all of the reasoning after all of the questions that we'd gotten was, well, hey, he needs to be a little bit better away from the football. That means, you know, picking up a blitz and pass blocking and, and things like that. And he feels like, I think he was asked directly about what are some things that you feel like you learned last year that can help you this year. And I think he was the one that actually pointed to being a better uh, player in terms of pass blocking and picking up the blitz. And he says he's worked on that. Danny Barrett, he attributes 85%, I think was the direct quote from him. Uh, that's his running back coach in terms of 
how much he's helped, how much he's grown in that position, in those assignments and responsibilities. And look, a lot is going to be asked of these running backs, picking up the blitz, pass blocking, being uh, catchers out of the backfield, obviously running the football, uh, much to what is asked of a tight end in this type of, you know, Kubiak, uh, Shanahan, now Slowick system. You got to be versatile. You got to be able to do everything really, really well. If you're a tight end, running back, those things fall on you. But it was it was all positive. I mean, Damien, he's always in a really great mood. But everything that I've heard about him, and I talked to Danny Barrett uh, one-on-one last week, and Barrett just said, man, you know, it's almost night and day. And I'm paraphrasing when I say this, but it was almost night and day from Damian Pierce last year coming in as a rookie to now. Like he's in way better shape and Barrett attributed that to him being way fresher mentally. And he's asking, you know, even more questions than he asked last year. And the guy was just a sponge. I mean, he was always talking to somebody, always pulling somebody aside, but said even this year with Damian, he's asking all of the right questions as many questions as, as there is, and there's a lot of them from Damian always, he's asking the right questions, which means, you know, he's really grasping, you know, the game and he's making the transition smoothly. And Damian kind of reiterated all of those points made by Barrett last week today when Damian took the podium. You only get, it seems like, maybe one day a year <laughs> to talk to a lot of these assistant coaches that we're not going to hear from. And there's all of these new assistant coaches now, Sean. Yeah. Was there anything else that really stuck out for you when you talked to some of the assistants and, you know, you heard from some of them, like what they had to say about what they're seeing and, you know, what their ideas are with this offense and defense. Yeah, I would say uh, Corey Undlin, who's their defensive pass game coordinator, I spoke with last week. Um, granted, let me preface this before I say anything. They ain't giving us nothing, <laughs> okay? Uh, but but I will say this. You know, I'm looking forward to talking with Corey Undlin, Matt Burke, who is the defensive coordinator, um, whether or not he's going to be calling plays, we don't know. He doesn't know. At least he hasn't said so yet. D'Amico, of course, hadn't said anything. Um, but Moreland, uh, I can't remember his first name, but he's the tight ends coach um, for them. I, I thought those three from last week and having been around them and just listened to them talk some shop and getting a chance to meet them were probably the most interesting. And I'll, I mentioned Unlin first because – you know, we were talking to him about the the versatility of the safeties in regard to Jalen Petrie and Jimmy Ward specifically. You know, both of those guys have kind of been asked to do multiple things, whether it be Jalen in college, you know, who was kind of a hybrid linebacker, safety, you know, a guy that would play up in the box. Um, he was versatile in terms of the guys that he, uh, you know, was was in charge of of. Of, of being on, you know, if it's a bigger tight end type or a slot receiver, or a bigger wide receiver, whatever the case may be, he's kind of done that. Jimmy's done the same thing. What's the advantages in this defense specifically in having those types of those types of athletes at the safety position? And Corey Unlin just uh, really did a great job of breaking down, you know, some of the different things that they could do in terms of showing an offense one thing, but doing something completely different because you have that at your disposal. So I, I found that really interesting. And Burke spoke on that a little bit as well. And I mentioned Moreland, the tight ends coach, because, you know, again, it comes down to versatility. I think 
Um, that's going to be kind of a common thread this year. But I think they've got the athletes in-house this year to where that's not going to really sour as it has in years past, where you've really asked a lot of guys that were not as well equipped to do multiple things. The Titans are going to be asked to do a lot. You got to block, you got to catch. Um, and it really comes down to being a professional and having the right body language and not giving anything away to an opposing defense. And that's why you bring in one of the very best in the NFL at his position, certainly the last couple of years, and Dalton Schultz. I think they're expecting a lot from him, and he needs to be healthy to kind of lead that group. But they're doing some different things with Brevin Jordan, too, and Tegan Quatoriano, who I'm really excited to see, who I thought, um, you know, did very well last year. Moreland's really excited about his entire group, but those guys particularly is who I asked him the most about. And so I think those guys are best suited um, in this system to really um, kind of benefit the offense the most just because of what they bring. Look, Jordan needs to be uh, a lot better of a blocker, in my opinion. Tegan Cotoriano entering his second year didn't play a whole lot last year, but when he did get the opportunity, um, we didn't get to see much of him as a blocker versus more of a pass catcher, and that's what he is naturally. Um, but I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on come training camp. Well, we got to play some catch up because a lot's gone on since you and I have talked. The day of my surgery yep. is the day we found out the Rockets landed at pick four in the draft lottery. Yeah, Sean, I've, been a while. I've, had a, I've had a lot of time to digest what the Rockets should do with the fourth pick. And the thought was that if they got Webby or Scoot, uh, you know, if they didn't get those two guys, that they're going to probably maybe trade the pick. But Sean, there isn't a veteran I've heard rumored that I'm interested in to trade for with the fourth pick and with the new C the new CBA, the new NBA collective bargaining agreement. I just believe it's best to keep the draft pick because I feel like you basically want to pay big money to two players with the new CBA. Cause you're not going to, you're going to be more hard capped out. It's going to be tougher and tougher to build like these, you know, really these caps with like bad contracts or, guys that are making mid big money and are mid tier guys. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you, how do you feel? Do you feel like they should keep the, the fourth pick and just make that selection at this point? I mean, I personally do. Um, granted, this is also coming from a person that at this point in time, I don't know the draft prospect that well, aside from, you know, your top three guys, um, <laughs> you know, we've talked about, uh, quite a bit. I mean, maybe you can make an argument, you know, for, I don't know where he's going to fall amongst it, but, you know, I mentioned, you know, Houston Cougars own Jairus Walker, you know, thought to be a lottery pick, obviously Brandon Miller from Alabama scoot. You just mentioned, which we've seen a lot of along with, you know, probably number one, uh, Victor Wimbanyama. Um, if I'm the Rockets, I got the number four pick. It's the number four pick, dude. Like I might be ignorant in saying this, but I mean, wh what point in time, like how did we get here to where when you have the fourth overall pick, it's not three, two, or one. I get it. It's not what you really wanted. But when do we get to the point to where it's like, eh, we got four. There's nobody out there. Are you kidding me? Like, I, I got to take a I, little I, bit I, harder I, of a look at this, but I'm just going to say it right now, like, I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't kick the idea out of bed if you didn't let Jairus Walker leave the city of Houston. I'll just put it to you that way. I'm all about like stacking good young talent with a NBA head coach that I feel like 
knows how to get the best out of this this his guys and has an opportunity which a lot of guys don't get with his knowledge and track record and I think you know pedigree and Ime Adoka. I want to see what he can do with a good young core mixed in with some good quality veterans, some of which may still be ascending players. Um, you know, if you can make that work, you know, we can talk about a couple of those guys, but um, I, if I'm the Rockets, no, I'm not letting go of a number four. It better be a really sweet deal. Yeah. Here's the issue with Jairus Walker. If you're, you know, if, it, if he, if you think he's the best guy available at that point, then yeah, but He's also, you know, by most scouts will tell you he's either a four or five. He's not a three. And you've got Jabari Smith and you've got Shangoon. And if you believe in those two guys, you don't want to overdraft at this particular position. And, you know, the guys that the people are talking about, Sean, are the Thompson twins, Amen and Asar. And my only issue with those two guys is neither one could shoot. And they might be far away from shooting. But the good news is, and Rockets fans have been keeping an eye out on this, the Rockets have hired some assistant coaches, uh, one that was with uh one with one that was with uh Udoka in Boston, and then they've hired another assistant that both have an expertise as shooting coaches. And John Lucas, God bless him. I love John Lucas for a lot of things, but he's been the shooting coach. And I used to watch that guy shoot as an NBA player. And it was a weird, awkward shot. And I'm like, I don't know if I really like John Lucas as our made shooting coach, but they've, you know, they've got a couple of guys that might be able to help the, the Rockets out in that. And which makes a lot of sense with some of the guys that they've got on the roster that need to shoot better. Cause the Rockets were a bad shooting team. They're a terrible shooting team. Honestly, they, they didn't make any space for Jalen Green. That was a big problem. And Amen Thompson, specifically, you know, you talk about a guy that that's his one flaw because he can, you know, he's a big athlete, can play defense, six, seven, seven foot wingspan. Both of those guys are about, you know, e- equal, identical twins. But also, uh, Ahmed Thompson can really pass the ball like if you look at some mm-hmm. of his passes they're amazing now he might need to learn to be a point guard overtime elite is like even worse as far as down the tier than g league and what we saw jalen green but he had to play catch up on when he came in but ahmed thompson to be would be the guy for most people that you would pick it for and you know, he's a guy that could fit very well with Jalen Green because he can play defense and he can pass. And if you could develop him, but, you know, obviously you would love to get your hands on Scoop. And that's the guy they would like to get. The problem sure. is, Sean, is this. Uh, Portland looks like they might get him because uh, Charlotte wants Brandon Miller. Mm-hmm. So they only trade... I think if they get an all-star caliber veteran player, because they're trying to win now with Dame, uh, Dame Lillard. So it's going to be difficult. You would have to pull off some three team to move up to get Scoot. Scoot would be the ideal for me. And I think a lot of people for the Rockets, because he's more like the prototypical point guard and he's not a great three point shooter at this point, but you know, the shots there, he's a good mid range guy. 
So I, I really think the Rockets, you know, if they draft Thompson, I, I, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I, I just feel like you're going to have to go get a veteran point guard. Why you wait to develop? Because Thompson's going to take, he's going to take three or four years. It's just, he's a project. That's yeah. plain and simple. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that veteran point guard is a guy like Van Vliet, you know, who you and I talked about, um, you know, earlier uh, before we came on. Um, you know, I'll say this real quick about shooting. Um, they, they've made some good hires in terms of the staff. You know, they need some guys that are able to speak, reach, relate to their players and improve the shooting. I'll yeah, say this, staff. though, too. I'll say this. You know, you, you've got some young players that, that you know, look, if we're just judging by last year, we're one of the worst shooting teams in, in the league. Um, they can improve. That's not who they are. Um, especially when you put them in a system that is better suited to fit maybe their skill set or get them some different looks, right? So I, I don't want to, you know, say anything that is, um, you know, solidified like in my in my analysis of like, well, you know, this guy can't shoot, that guy can't shoot, you know, Jalen's never going to be a great shooter or whatever. No, I want to see what this system looks like under Udoka and what kind of position he's able to put some of these younger guys in maybe they're able to improve and become pretty good um i also think too you know feeling the way i feel about you know rafael stone not the biggest fan but i will say that you know i want to see what he's able to do in the draft you know if he does keep you know the fourth pick and you know they've got what is it 20 21 or 22 you know also in the first round i can't remember 20. um 20, you know, I want to see what he does with the fourth and 20th pick, you know, because he's done pretty well in the draft. Like you've got some really good talented players that he's been able to find, you know, in the first or second round. So they're able to find somebody, develop them, you know, over the course of the next couple of years while they're, you know, in ascending franchise and winning more ball games. I, I want to see what they can do. And I, I think the real telltale is going to be what they're able to do in free agency. You know, what sort of group they're able to put together, the veterans, you know, when you start talking about like a Dylan Brooks versus, you know, like Brooke Lopez or uh, uh, Cam Johnson or Van Vliet, whoever, like I can only go so far. And I'll tell you this, I'm not a Dylan Brooks fan. I don't know many people that are right now, but there's maybe not a talent rich, um, you know, free agent market out there. It's going to take some time. That's the position that you've put yourself in as a franchise. It's just the NBA right now, really, anyway. Um, but they are going to be a better ball club by a lot, I think, just given the regime change and the development of these young guys that are entering, you know, their second year or their third year under Udoka. Yeah, I don't think they were very well developed under Silas. And, and yeah. I have way more confidence that th these guys are going to be developed quicker and better. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are four guys, and you mentioned uh, them. There are four guys that the Rockets, according to Jake Fisher, are definitely after. Obviously, besides James Harden, which we've all heard about ad nauseum, but uh, Fred Van Vliet, Brooke Lopez, Cam Johnson, and then uh, the final guy you mentioned, Dylan Brooks. And you know, my personal thought on Brooks is I'm right with you because they, they're not a good shooting team. He can't shoot. Uh, he's a guy that's kind of out of control and you're bringing him to a team that's not loaded, at least right now with a bunch of veterans. Now, if they add a bunch of veterans around him, but I don't know how many you can add. And there's just not that culture that you've developed here right. where somebody could tell Dylan Brooks, 
stop doing stupid stuff because that's what you're going to have to do. Now, if they get him real cheap, then, you know, he's got to listen to, to you because obviously he didn't have much of a market out there and he's mm-hmm. got to listen to what Udoka has to say and get his act together. But I, I'm just not a Dylan Brooks guy. I just don't want that kind of, I don't want to for that kind of guy. Now, Brooke Lopez would be my number one guy because I think he immediately proves the defense and he can shoot the ball as a big. So he opens up. He's a perfect guy either alongside Jabari or Shangoon. And a lot of people got pissed at me on Twitter because I said, Brooke Lopez would be your starter. And I'd put him next to Jabari and bring Shangoon off the bench. And everybody's like, oh, no, Shangoon's our guy or whatever. But I just think Brooke next to either one of those guys who can shoot three-pointers and open things up and plays defense better than both of those guys, you want him starting. It doesn't mean Shad Goob can't get 30 minutes a game. You could split it up almost evenly between those three bigs and have a three-man big rotation. Yeah. And it doesn't mean Shad not can't start down the road, but I love Rook Lopez to bring in to cultural shooter defense, everything this team needs. Everything is what you get with Brooke Lopez. It'd be a good little change of pace, too, you know, and I don't think you have to be married to either or. But mind you, this if let's just say Brooke Lopez did sign with the Rockets, this would maybe be I think this would legitimately be the first time that he'd ever come off the bench in his career. Like, I know. No, he's done I, it. Well, you're saying he's coming off. the. I'm saying no. I say no. start. I, I know you're saying start. Lopez. I'm saying I don't think you have to be married to that or coming off the bench, but I said maybe the bench because, you know, maybe they'd feel like Shingun is in a better position to start alongside Jabari. You know, you, you don't know how that thing's going to go, but, you know, you're talking about a guy who's going to be entering, what, his 15th or 16th season in the NBA. He's getting a little bit older. How much does he have left in the tank? Maybe he would be more comfortable coming off the bench. Maybe the Rockets think that's where he's better suited, depending on what they think. But um, either or, I kind of agree with you in terms of just overall development. Maybe he is a guy that starts right away, you know, for this, for this team. And yeah, you I just don't understand. You know, Sean, I don't understand why a guy that's starting for a championship caliber team would come mm-hmm. to Houston to come off the bench. And you talk about, he's getting older. He was practically top three defensive player of the year last year. Yeah, and he was, fair. he's as big a key to that their defense as anybody you know, if he comes here, to me, he's starting, and then Shane Goon's got to develop. He's got to be a better shooter. He's got to better be better defensively. You know, he's got steps to make. It doesn't mean it's disrespect to Shane Goon because you can still give him a lot of play because Brooke Lopez is older. You don't want to play him 40 minutes a game. You're going to exactly. play him like 30 minutes a game. Shane Goon could play. You That could be your three-man rotation right there. And if there's three guys rotating, Sean, you, that's 32 minutes each guy, okay? Mm-hmm. 32 mm-hmm. minutes each guy. That's plenty in the NBA in today's NBA. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. You know, I'm just kind of throwing up a hypothetical. I mean, I know what Brooks is capable of, but he's not an ascending player anymore. You know, I mean, he is going to be, I think this is going to be his age 36 season. So, 
you know, that wall hits at some point. And it's not that I'm saying there was any telltale sign last year, uh, you know, of his play, but I'm just kind of trying to think of like, all right, you got to weigh that scale if you're the Rockets a little bit. Like, where do you see Shangun versus where you know Brooke Lopez is at versus what you think you're going to get from him in the system? But I like your idea. I think it would be great if you could make that work. Um, money would be a little bit maybe of an issue too. I don't know what kind of deal he'd be looking for. Um, but well, that's the, that's the reason why I think he's going to be available because the Rockets can overpay him a little bit because they got money. As long as you're not throwing it all this money at James Harden, which I don't want to do, and I know no, you don't want to do. I don't think so, I'm doing that. So, Brooke Lopez, you could overpay him, and Milwaukee's in a little bit of a bind right now because you know that this the CBA is going to be coming up, and you could force Milwaukee's hand a little bit by throwing him a little bit of money off the top, maybe in a descending contract and get them a little bit of trouble as far as that goes. Be nice. But, but the, I mean, the likelihood is he stays in Milwaukee, but I think the Rockets have a legitimate shot at him. And as far as Fred Red Bleak's concerned, I mean, I'll take him over Harden in a millisecond as a point guard. And here's the thing, Sean, with Fred Van Bleak. He doesn't turn the ball over like some of the, you know, weird turnovers that, We've seen James Harden have over the years. He plays defense, unlike James Harden. Uh, and the, here's the other thing. Uh, he he can hit standstill open jump shots. So James Harden doesn't like to shoot the ball when, you know, he doesn't like to wear the, you pass the ball back to him and he's wide open for a jump shot. We, we've seen that with James, even in Philadelphia. He's not doing that a whole lot, even though he's a, he could be a good shooter. But Fred Van Vliet, uh, catch and shoot, open catch and shoot shots last year, 40%. And he's a very, very solid three-point shooter. Otherwise, yeah. even though he, he came off a bad year, my only real concern with him is Nick Nurse ran those guys into the ground. He threw a lot of minutes at Van Vliet over the last three years. And, you know, Van Vliet's not a young guy, so hopefully he's got some gas in the tank. But I would rather give him a lot less money than James Harden and and let him play that position rather than throw in like a four-year max or some stupid thing like that with James. Yeah. And you know, look, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I hope the Rockets don't do that. Um, I think you can get where you want to get in, in, in many different ways besides, you know, going back to that old well. Um, And look, Van Vliet, an ascending player, um, you know, play the one for you, can shoot. He's coming off of his uh, worst shooting year in, of his career, you know, six, seven-year career uh, from three. Um, if if you if you went, uh, you know, Cam Johnson as well as another, you know, kind of a veteran, you know, I, another ascending player, I like that value if you can get him. Um, but going back to James Harden I've just I've always been against it I don't like how it sounds there's nothing appealing to that um for me in that regard and look what happened over the course of the last 3 years has everything to do with that um I don't know how many times we had to say it. this team it's go- it's it's trying to win now I mean they have turned the page they are you know for real again um and <laughs> James Harden is just not the answer. I don't care how many times he's endorsed by Eric Gordon or Kyle Lowry or Patrick Beverly, whoever the hell it is, you know, talking about him. I don't care. We've been there, done that. It's time to move on. I don't know if you saw this, but KJ Martin's dad, Kenyon Martin, who was a damn good basketball player, 
uh, he was on a podcast and asked about James Harden, and he just said flat out, no, the Rockets shouldn't have him around. I, I, I'm i a little bit more lenient as far as James Harden on a, on a two-year contract that's a it's not like a full-on max or something like that, or at least a short contract. But anything beyond two years with Harden to me is just you're you're kind of stunning your growth a little bit. I mean, I think he can help set guys up a little bit better. Obviously, he's a great passer, but I would just rather start thinking in, ter- in more longer terms and have somebody, not, not that Van Vliet is a longer-term guy, but at least have somebody that knows that, okay, Jalen Greed's the dude, Ed Jabari Smith's the dude, Ed Shade Good's the dude. These are the guys that we're, they're, we're building around. When James says something like, you know, he said openly, I, I want to go back to being James Harden and play the game how I want to play it. That scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it, though. Like, uh, it didn't work with Chris Paul. It didn't work with Russell Westbrook. It wasn't going to work with John Wall. Um, it didn't work in Brooklyn. It's apparently not working. I don't know how much Doc Rivers, who's out in Philadelphia anyway, but it clearly wasn't suffice for him there. You know, if he ends up staying there, it's because they give him the money. If he left for a shorter deal worth less money, I would really question what everybody else is questioning, you know, his will to win, because you have a much better chance to win in Philadelphia, you know, over the course of the next couple of years than you do as a Houston Rocket. Um, And, yeah, look, this to me, if the Rockets did it, would be – an an impatient type of a move and they're not in position. They don't have to do that. They have money to spend. They have the fourth and the 20th pick in the draft. Like you can't set up yourself in a much better position than the Rockets have right now. Call it a weak draft. If you want to fine, but you're telling me that you can't find value at four value. No, it's a, no, it's a, it's a, no, absolutely the opposite. This is one of the best drafts we've seen in Mm -hmm. years. Nobody's ever going to say that. And the thing is the Rockets are really lucky because you know, they, they, they lost their pick in that uh, stupid Russell Westbrook trade for next year. The next mm-hmm. year's draft looks terrible. So, and, and, and you want to be a playoff team. I get it. And James Harden maybe gets you closer to being at least a play-in. I mean, it's going to be tough to be a playoff team, but a play-in team. Yeah. And, 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 and I think a play-in team could be realistic with some of the right moves and some, some of these guys developing. But I just... I think it's scary with the new CBA to cast strap your to a guy. And my my deal with James Harden isn't just, I I, I don't think he's like a long-term guy. It's much more than that. This is somebody that is, if you're paying him a lot of money, he's somebody that's starting to get injured. He's getting older, you know, and he's not somebody that we know keeps himself in the best shape. And you've got to be very careful at how you spend your money with this new CBA. Like I said, yeah. it's going to get real tighter with the new CBA. They're making it like a, a more tighter salary cap. And you, you you can't just throw away stupid money because what happens now is if you, if, you, if you do stupid money on somebody right now and then you've got to get rid of them, nobody's going to want to take the stupid money off your – you can't just – you know, trade your way out of it like you used to. And because yeah. teams aren't going to want to, they're, they're not, they don't want to take, they're not going to want to take on bad contracts as much as you don't want to have them. So uh, to me, the draft picks are just, they're, they're, they're more valuable and guys that you could get with value contracts. And, you know, you just want guys that 
also you want to have in the locker room and all that. And, you know, I don't think James is bad as the worst person says about James at the locker room or as good as the best person says about there. He's somewhere in the middle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, I, I'll just, I look at it from this perspective. It, it's a decision and it's a tough decision. It is a massive commitment to go through as an organization what you did over the course of the last three years. However, it transpired. However, you got there. Once you got too deep, you had to make a decision as an organization. And the Rockets did that. And they tore this sucker down and they've been trying to build and build and build and that one last step man i mean they went all in for that number one and it didn't work out you got the number four but you literally just got out of hell you know purgatory whatever you want to call it i mean they've got the money they've got the uh, the, the draft capital and you've got a good young core it would take a lot to really screw this situation up but maybe not as much as you think, as you're saying, and you're against, as am I, strapping yourself to a guy like Harden or anybody else that, you know, is at the max. Um, when you're not ready to make that type of a commitment as an organization, as a team, and they're not, I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure. And other teams look I have to believe around the league, but specifically the Rockets, and are like, man, we don't want to put ourselves in that position. And the Rockets don't want to be in the position to where they have to try and unload, you know, another crappy contract. John Wall, Russell Westbrook, you know, they've been there, done that before. I mean, there's a reason why Robert isn't there, that for years and years and years, when Daryl Morey was here, you know, and Les Alexander wanted him to just, you know, tear this thing down, let's build it back up. And Morey said, no. You know, I'd rather be, you know, in, in the mix and a middling organization because I can find that guy and I can build a team, you know, before, you know, it's going to take, you know, two years, three years and alienating our fan base for us to get where we want to get. I can do it. And he damn near did. They were a hamstring away from doing it with Chris Paul and it didn't work out. But teams are looking at that. And there's a reason why not everybody's choosing to go this route of the Rockets. And I, I'd be hard-pressed to think that Tillman Fertitta, you know, or anybody associated with this organization would be willing to go through three years of absolute hell again, especially for the same darn dude. In fact, if it didn't work out, you know, the second go-around. Yeah, you said it's it's they're in a great shape and it's hard to screw this. It's also hard to get out of being the worst team in the NBA for three years. Yep. And this is such a key off season because now you got the money to spend. You've got your one last really pick at the at, at, at a really good draft pick. I I don't think, uh, you know they're going to be picking high for for a while now. So you know this is such a key off season. And look, Daryl Daryl got got him out of the mess in that two or three years. And you know there wasn't much they could do. Let's be honest. There wasn't much they could do with James Harden says, I want out because Daryl didn't leave him with any young talent. He didn't leave him with a lot of draft choices. They had to screw, they had to screw themselves into the ground bad because mm -hmm. they knew if they didn't finish top four that year that James left, they weren't keeping their pick. Let's not forget about that. And yeah. in that second year, you're like, well, we got it. We need to be bad one more year because just Jalen Green, is it going to, you know, you need another pick at the apple. 
Um, I didn't think that they needed to go at it as hard as they did this third year, third year. But once you did that, you just made it the, the, the steep climb out of it way, way harder. And mm -hmm. that's that, you know, I've said this over and over again, so it's nothing new, but just as a reminder, you know, this, these net, this next month, boy, this is a big month in Rockets history. I keep saying that this off season, it's such a crucial crucial offseason it's a crucial offseason in rockets history uh i don't think the texans have had an offseason that is as crucial despite whatever's gone on with the texans as much as this rockets offseason the astros haven't had an offseason that i this is such a big offseason for this one particular franchise yeah you know we we we're going to do another show this week and we should probably take a hard look at you know talking about just the next two months from this from the perspective of just the entire city and its local professional teams you know rockets texans astros this is a ginormous next couple of months with you know the trade deadline coming up the draft coming up for the rockets free agency you know getting underway the texans and what they're going to do at quarterback um how well, things need to continue to go for an organization that, you know, a lot of it by design, but has alienated a fan base and is kind of getting a lot of people back in right now and doing all the right things, saying all the right things, making some good moves, making good hires. They've turned the page. They haven't completely turned the worm yet, though. A lot still needs to go right. This is a pivotal two months in, you know, the, the lexicon really of Houston sports. I mean, rewind, go back to 2017, where we thought we were all entering a golden era of Houston sports, where you had, you know, one of the youngest, most exciting and ascending young quarterbacks in the entire NFL, players into Sean Watson. He tears his freaking ACL a day after the Astros win the 2017 World Series. You know, a few months later, Chris Paul happens, his hamstring explodes, and they were that close, you know to uh, beating the Golden State Warriors and going to the finals. And ever since then, it's just been, you know, a you-know-what show. And maybe right now, Robert, in June, July, into August, you know, this uh, summer of 2023, maybe we're starting to get right back up there to we can have a realistic conversation about the golden era of Houston sports, you know, being a little bit closer to our grasp once again. Yeah, and we're going to save the Astros for a couple of days. For now. There's plenty to talk about, and I got some stuff I want to talk about. But since we had so much to talk about with Texans and Rockets, I'll just put that on the back burner. But I just want to tell everybody out there, um, it's good to be back and uh, just excited to talk to Sean again about what's going on in Houston sports. And it's been hard not to be able to talk about it, Sean, because you've said it. There's, there's so much going on, and there, there's a lot of hope with two franchises right now. and and then we got the the good old Astros that just you know they're back being the Astros the last month. So it's it's been yeah. it's been tough to be to be quiet right about now. Yeah, I know. Well, you don't have to be quiet anymore, man. You got your pipes back. You got your energy up again, and uh, you know we'll keep praying for you and uh, get you back to a hundred. And uh, because again, you know the, this summer is going to be a great one, man, an exciting one for sure. I know that for a fact, and we have a lot to uh, you know keep the people up on and uh, talk about going forward in Houston. We'll hit you guys in a couple of days. Talk to you later. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. 
Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.